0: You're with the home of great music Mansfield 103.2 and you're listening to our weekly discussion show getting to the heart of a range of topics tonight. 103.2 Picky Eaters. Joining regulars Sid Pepper and Peter Jones on the panel this week from the University of Derby is psychologist Dr Frankie Maratos. Does your child refuse to eat certain foods? Does a friend always refuse an invitation to dinner? When you're at a restaurant, do you always ask for food to be cooked in a certain way? And is food phobia a psychological issue or just an excuse to be fussy? All questions and issues to debate as 103.2 Picky Eaters is your host Tony Delahunty.
1: week we're talking about piggy food. We seem to be doing food quite frequently. I think it's probably said that something to do with our producer needing to sort of bulk up a little bit, wouldn't it, Craig Priest?
2: He does need to bulk up, to be fair.
1: Yeah, so food has been a a, a regular topic. Uh, We were startled last week by some of the revelations of of our uh, ex-top cop, uh, Peter Jones. We were very startled. I'm not going to go into them just yet. They'll, they'll come up later. But your eating habits aren't that of the normal human being exactly, are they?
3: Yeah, they are. Yeah, most people used to eat like that. Did
1: they? Yeah. Well, they yeah. <laughs> it, it, it brings into the thought of cannibalism, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that That was what you did. However, we've got a very special guest in 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 the studio, and it's Dr. Frankie Murattis, who is the uh, lecturer in psychology, yeah, at the University of Derby. Would that be a a proper tag to put on you?
4: Uh, Yes, I am. I'm actually a reader, which just means I do quite a lot of research in the area. But yes, so. You're a reader, you, yes.
1: you, you you sit and read about things.
4: Well, I'd like to have the time to sit and read. It just means I do quite a lot of research into eating, anxiety and other areas. And so, you've,
1: yes. you've written a tome, you've written a book or something, have you, at the moment?
4: Um, I've written some, I've had some papers in the areas and most recently we've just produced a book chapter um, for a specialist edition all about um, eating behaviours, so we were asked to guest produce... A book chapter
1: does this address adults as well as, as as kids or what
4: the book chapter does the book chapter looks at if there are similarities between individuals who have uh, in adulthood maybe have a tendency towards eating disorders um, and if there's any pattern between that and anxiety disorders. Right.
1: Um, now, let's talk about eating disorders first of all. Do you mind if I use a couple of examples from our studio? The mm-hmm. the, the The great Sydney Pepper next to me, of course, uh, a man who eats out a lot, don't you? He do not eat at home very often, do you? Well, it
2: depends if the microwave's working or the smoke alarm. <laughs> exactly. On. The two things that measure when something's cooked.
1: Now, you eat... Are you a picky eater? Oh, let's take you, roll you back a little bit. When you first remember meals, etc, were you, were you picky
2: then? No, we didn't get much choice, so you either ate it or you starved. so it's quite simple. Uh, I certainly won't eat a curry now, because I know what curry was invented for, so I won't touch anything in the curry. We've got an audience out there, you made an accusation about curry, well, it, what was it invented it, for? It was invented to cover the rancid taste of meat that was off, basically. And so I can't get that picture out of my mind. I'm sure they're very nice.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's an awful lot of very nice curries. I was going to have one tonight, actually. and I'm not going to cancel my reservation either. Uh, Coming back, uh, Doctor, I mean, we're talking about picky eating. Is it a big problem nowadays? We hear things about obesity and that sort of thing. Surely if somebody's picking the right things to eat, it can't be bad.
4: I think I think you're right but I think that we live in a very different um, society now so you have all the, the me power of children when they're walking around the supermarkets um, so when we're talking several years back obviously you didn't necessarily have the same consumer aspects you didn't have all the food television adverts that are targeted around children's uh, television programs so I think we do have a slight more issue but people are also more aware I mean for example you see on uh, any food you buy now it tells you whether it's one of your five a day or in fact most foods so it's very conscious it's always in the forefront of our mind what we're eating and all the calories and the traffic light systems are there so I think it is making people much more conscious about what they're eating.
1: Sid one of the problems I face when I, when I hear these sort of things is that one day you, you, you hear hearings that researchers readers whatever we like to call them at universities are saying that this is good for you or one uh, taking it to the drink a couple of uh, glasses of red wine is good for the heart and that's what the next thing you're reading, somebody else has found some research and it's not as good do you find it confusing Sid?
2: Uh, no but frankie is quite right we have to label food now with all its goodness and its badness within it, but who reads it? And she also made a good point about, uh, back, certainly back in the 50s and 60s, food was food. Uh, since then, uh, TV... Uh, as, as, as glamorized it and certainly targeted the, the youngsters so that they pick in the supermarket so it's become a commodity it's not about food for sustenance now it's about a commodity and i'm afraid the commodity is this that we're getting obese but as i said the other week so are the chinese now we've imported all our high streets to them
1: now let's go over to uh, to jonah now uh Bring him into some of the witness boxes, a top cop, etc. Uh, in a recent programme, you highlighted some of your delights in uh, in eating. Uh, one of them contained liver, contained liver, didn't it? A particular yes. liver. Which animal was it? That, that Lamb liver.
3: Oh, sorry? Lamb's liver.
1: Lamb's liver. Uh, uh, and it's not blue or anything like that. It, well, it is. It's completely raw when you eat it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, completely raw, right? Bang, there it is.
3: Yes. Yes, straight out of the packet, straight onto the plate. Uh, and it's very tasty, I have to say. And it's presumably very good for you because it's got all the nutrients in it. Nothing's been uh, cooked and thrown away.
1: Right, let's have an answer from that one. Come on, Doctor.
4: (laughs) I'm not quite sure. I mean, obviously, I'm not a nutritionist. I look at behaviour, so I'm sure... (laughs) (laughs)
3: Look
1: at his behaviour. (laughs) police officer.
4: I mean, I know liver liver and kidneys is obviously very good for you, but I've certainly never... I've never encountered anybody personally, not in a work situation, (laughs) that seeks could raw liver yeah because uh, if
1: you went out for dinner with someone like you know, he's suddenly, like, can you bring me a slice of raw liver please and gnawed away on it you know but it, 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 you're not a nutritionist such you're dealing with a psychological yeah. well what makes him eat raw liver then
4: maybe he just likes the taste of it or maybe if we, you know we eat things that we're, we think are good for us that's why obviously everybody for you know children get uh, eat their greens told to eat the greens the five portions of fresh fruit and veg a day if you think things are good for you, you naturally uh, in most situations will eat them
1: is this the point that, that that Sid was hinging on before? We can be brainwashed into thinking what's good for us and therefore buy it. Is that right?
4: Well, I certainly think so. There was some really nice research <laughs> recently where they got children to play video games. And what they did is they either played the, uh, they showed the kids the, they were playing video games and then they either showed them adverts of food snacks or adverts of toys. And then afterwards, um, they let the children eat what they liked. But of course, the ones without realising it, the ones that had seen all the food snacks, they acted they then ate more food. Um, so obviously, there's all this play and this interaction. And there were things, so we don't, we don't, we're not even consciously aware of it a lot of time. So. so what
1: is the, the every piece of research that, that that you do will have a purpose to that research mm-hmm. wouldn't it you know, you you'd probably start your, your essay or whatever with uh, the purpose of the, the research put down what is the real purpose of it what do you hope to, to gain for people well, for the human race if you like
4: well I suppose what we're doing it in, in, with the child uh, research obviously I've been working in the field of anxiety for uh, around 12 years and we're just looking if uh, eating behaviours are a little bit as in children if they're like other anxiety behaviours. So is it that the children actually have, do some children actually have a fear of, for example, trying new foods, uh, whereas do some children not have that fear? And we know in anxiety disorders uh, some of it's uh, more generally about having a fear of social situations, etc. So we're just ha- we're in- we're basically investigating whether it applies more generally. And that one of the areas I look at is called neophobia, which actually means uh, you know the fear of novel foods or putting novel novel foods in your mouth. So we're looking at if it- there's-, there's similarities, basically.
1: You're talking of novel foods there Mm -hmm. Uh, i remember as a a child i went to a school and i was absolutely terrified i discovered that i didn't like fat any form of fat and i'm not suggesting it's it it probably has changed an awful lot nowadays but to my mind as a little chap uh, seeing fat on the beef or whatever really made me Mm -hmm. feel yuck and i actually used to dread lunch because you were supposed to eat your lunch yeah, um, and, and, and I used to try and cut the fat off and put it in a little overall they gave us when we, ha- we had lunch that that was a horrible situation for me I used to dread going to school because of that
4: yeah I mean that's a really good point and one of the things you, we're looking at which you bring you brought out perfectly there is actually the look of food so we know that when um, you have toddlers and children under about 5, 6 they don't they don't have what we call cognitive reasoning strategies which basically means wow. they can't think it just basically means you can ask a, a 5 or 6 year old any uh, you know how to get from A to B because they wouldn't be able to think about the, how you do things or you couldn't ask them to solve a problem for you because they just can't think the same way as an adult can. Um, so what they do is they rely a lot on vision and so obviously if you see something and you don't like the look of it then that use that's a protective mechanism um, and that's why as children get older they for example stop eating maybe you know food that looks funny or food that has a fly in it when they're very tiny they haven't learned things like disgust so they'll do that but they rely quite a lot on vision um, so you also find that some children have problems when foods are mixed because um, it looks like they're spreading into onto each other
1: now so from your research Will it help mum, dad, whoever does the cooking well, at home?
4: Yeah, I mean, that's what we're, we're hoping to do. So so I've been working in the area for some time and I've got a PhD student who's who's luckily being funded for three years to to do studies and she's already been out into schools and collected uh, data from over 100 children and 100 parents, which is quite nice. Um, and the idea would be that if we understand a little bit more about children's eating behaviour, then we can provide tips. Uh, and there's really simple things you can do.
1: And we're going to find out about some of those... Simple things that you can do. Very interesting indeed. I wonder how you can help your family, your growing family, as they grow up. And uh, we have in the studio somebody who actually knows that. More from her right after these. 103 points to you. And it's pointing today to <laughs> eaters who are a little bit too picky yeah or maybe a lot too picky and I said before the break and and in the studio we've got Dr Frankie Maratas from the University of Derby and uh, she's been doing research a lot of reading a lot of looking into and some of it practical as well into picky eating and one of the things I said just before the break is how this could perhaps help people the research that she's done Uh, because we've we've already heard from her that vision vision of some type of food or or whatever can actually affect very young people particularly before they can sort of work it out why can affect them and keep something in their minds sometimes for a very very long time so we've roped in uh, our our producer always reluctant to speak on on, on the radio Craig Priest because he's so busy uh, putting the program together he's the youngest in the studio uh, it actually looks the slimmest, but never mind. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, 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 Peter Jones, ex-top cop, um, the liver eater, raw. And we've got Sidney Pepper, who um, said rather interesting things about curry a little bit earlier, which, uh, of course, I can't align to in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's, it's historic fact. It's not current. Okay, fine. Uh, now, we'll start with, with, with Peter Jones. Can you remember anything that when, you were, when you were younger that, that you saw... Uh, adverts probably of food weren't around that much then, but that you saw uh, it or was presented to you in some way that you thought, oh, wow, I don't like that, and I've stayed away from that.
3: I think television was, en- was invented by the time I was growing up, so uh, I'm not that old to, to actually have never seen adverts on television. Uh, but I don't have a television now, so I don't see adverts, uh, and so I just eat uh, what what i fancy uh, and uh, the only things i don't like I, I don't like dark chocolate which is supposed to be good for you i can eat milk chocolate but i don't like dark chocolate uh, and i've never been able to eat uh, marmalade for some reason i keep trying it every 10 years or so but i can never get to take the taste of marmalade
1: done with the mastery of a top cop in the witness box and completely avoiding the question right. Um when you were younger Did you see anything then on television which you now allude to, the fact that commercial television and advertising was around in your younger days or something that was put in front of you at a restaurant or whatever, that the vision of that put you off eating that particular thing in the future?
3: No, but I don't know that I actually had much choice. I was a bit like Sid. You know, if if it was presented to you, you ate it. And if you didn't eat it, then you ate it later. It it was just one of those old-fashioned traditions. And uh, so there's nothing that I've actually seen that's put me off eating.
1: Right. Fact. Well, we have in the studio a man who's uh, uh, going to give us his his evidence on that. It's uh, Craig Priest, producer of the program. Craig, if you'd just advance a little towards the microphone, I know you're shy of it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what happened with you? Because it changed your life, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it did. I mean, when I was younger, I used to eat. Apparently, when I was sort of r- relatively young, I used to eat everything that was put in front of me, but there came a time where I just refused to have it. And I think it actually stemmed from seeing a fire, a house fire, um, which just sort of put me off sort of gas cooking. I just had this taste of this smell of burnt food all the time and just couldn't be able to sit down and properly enjoy a meal at fear of what might happen if it was left in the oven too long. And then as I sort of progressed into my teenage life, I had a bit of a difficult upbringing in terms of home life. And because I was so picky eating, I used to get force fed at sort of like 13, 14. So a lot of foods now, it's the taste association, which sort of makes me reluctant to eat it. Like I'll just retch if I try certain foods and which does impact quite a lot on you know sort of socially if you want to go out for a meal and things like that
1: let's go straight across on, on that one doctor
4: I mean, that's a really interesting point. So so what we know is there are different aspects of why, why children can become picky fussy eaters. And some of them's to do with what the food feels like in their, their mouth, uh, which is etc. which we kind of know a little bit about. But one of the things we've been looking at is if there's a link to anxiety. And what we know is in anxiety disorders, you can have a trigger. Um, so maybe as, so if we talk about anxiety disorders generally, and then I'll bring it back to Craig. Um, say, for example, you have a child that uh, is out for a walk and um, maybe they get stuck, they're climbing and they get stuck in, stuck in rocks and they can hear a stream. Um, what happens is then that fear gets gets combined with the the, the the noise of water and then they can go on from that to develop uh, a fear of water which can then develop into a fear of going, having a bath, a fear of even rain, a fear of going into swimming pools. So what we think and Craig is it's a kind of a prime example of this. Craig's had a uh, bad experience where he's got a memory of something that's really scared him, which is a house fire. And then somehow that's become associated with food. And so the fear is transferred (laughs) from the house fire and it's become linked with the food. So whether it was then because there was something that happened in your house and the smell of the cooking triggered the memory of the the fire. So then it becomes entwined together. And we know that fear memories are really very, very powerful, uh, which means that they take a long time and sometimes a lot of work uh, to get rid of them. Um, So in Craig's case, it would sound like that. And of course, then it didn't help because by the time he was getting to teenage years, rather than him then having a sort of a relaxed... uh, a, a, a relaxed situation for him to have food. It sounds like he was being force-fed again, which then would increase his fear, his anxiety. So it would just perpetuate it.
1: No, no, cure him. Cure. will here, I will <laughs> we'll give him. Yeah, you can have a few minutes to, to cure him.
3: But Peter Jones first. Yeah, well, I, I think I've seen the other side of it. I remember at the post mortem on a Sunday night, actually having a pizza delivery, and it was the pizza delivery person that was a little bit upset by it all, not the people who were eating it.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure how to go and do a horse with a pizza well, but, uh, but
4: then you become so you know you get hardy personalities so if you're desensitized if you're used to doing let me <laughs> ask you a
1: key question i think because i've learned a lot with this with, with this program in, in the last few weeks to, to want to get over a problem whether it be picky eating or anything they, they say essentially uh, over drinking whatever you've got to want to do it yeah you... yeah you've got to let it me... Craig do you want to get over the problem that y- you know you inherited from a, a bad experience I, I would you like to get over that now and, and be able to look at the menu and, and of course out... because
0: I think whenever you go out with with the family or your girlfriend or whatever for a meal you're so restricted by what you can have because of your memories and you always feel socially awkward so it does sort of hamper. you situation i think you become a little bit recluse then because you become fearful of going out for a group meal and things like that
1: you know sid I, i've been with this fellow at, uh, at football matches and all and all sorts of things and very frequently i've decided i wanted to buy something or have some food or invited him around for dinner which of course is a huge mistake really but never mind uh, because what's the use of having dinner with somebody who says no i don't want any of that can i have a glass of water well please? that's
2: why you've invited him yeah
1: well probably it saved me money but but, but seriously that's that's a factor craig isn't it that, i'm I'm exposing a reality is that a reason why in the past when we invited you to join us for lunch or anything like that you you seem to duck out
0: yeah and i think a a big thing about it as well is you don't want to go into the reasons as to why you just sort of say no and maybe sometimes even make a little white line as to why you can't go you don't want to go into the full reasons. you have now exactly
2: well that's very big of craig to do that on on air it's an admission uh, because obviously you don't normally talk about it, so well done you, because you needed to represent the other side of the coin. Uh, you need help, kidder, so I'll give you a 10 and you can make a start later on today. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, but you see, I like the term desensified. that that basically I go back to a time when food was food, you ate it because you needed to eat it, because you needed energy. Uh, we didn't have supermarkets, we had a village baker village butcher etc etc most people grew stuff in the back gardens or in allotments so it was very simple food it was essential food and that was presented to you from from as long as i can remember and uh, i don't particularly like greens because there was too many of them on the plate uh, i wasn't forced to eat them i left them and therefore i became hungry but i made my own decisions about what i ate Uh, But now it's gone very very confusing we live in a world of convenience food most of which is bad for you uh, but it helps the busy families and it keeps sustenance going into the children because I'm more concerned about children than adults they've already been formed it's what we do with children now and I'm very pleased to hear uh, that we're doing this essential work because knowledge is everything whether anybody actually puts that to advantage is another issue because I said earlier on on packets now they'll tell you the salt content they'll tell you the sugar content and it's quite frightening who reads it i think we need stronger messaging like you get on cigarette packages uh, but you know my memories i just ate there was nothing i didn't have to have any any anything about it. i either ate it or i didn't eat it and and that was it. End of story.
4: And you, there's just some just on that. There's some very interesting uh, research as well about cultural differences. So this, there seems to be some emerging research saying, for example, that French children a little bit less picky, fussy eating, and it goes back to expectations. But what they tend to do is they typically will serve meals more often in courses, and the first course will be vegetables, etc. So the children will be expected from the very beginning not to go straight to remote, uh, uh, to a main course and you kind of see that coming in in these pla- in in england now because i have children myself but you know if you go somewhere if you take them for a meal uh say you go to i don't know pizza express or somewhere they bring them out as a starter vegetables with a little dip but that's quite that's quite unusual for us we tend not to necessarily you know um come home and have meals in courses you'll tend to feed your kids a main meal and then maybe give them a pudding but actually you know doing these sorts of things is quite useful and and it just brings back to your point which is it was quite different in the 50s uh, but it's even now different between countries and we tend to do things slightly different sometimes in the UK
1: yeah a a little earlier though we were talking again about Craig and I'm sure people out there some of those people out there may have had similar experiences to Craig and one of the questions I asked him yes we. Would you like to improve on that? Mm-hmm. And I think now there's a listening audience out there and they're saying to themselves, some of those people are saying to themselves, we would like to get over that problem. How do you get over it?
4: Well, I think they probably need to go and see a clinical psychologist. And one of the things I would note is it depends if they feel it's very interfering with their lives. But one of the things you said about Craig, it's not that he doesn't have the motivation. So he would actually quite like to do it, like to get over his eating. Um, What it is, is sometimes the emotions are so overwhelming. So the fear, etc., of doing it, and the anxiety. But it would certainly be worth... Um, obviously, ex- going to see in a clinical exper- a psychologist is very, very expensive. It can be, unless you can get it on the NHS. Um, so Have one you got things- a few
1: minutes afterwards and you can sort it <laughs> well,
4: out? But one of the things is very small steps. So even if the first step is for, you know, th- you've got to do it in such small steps that it doesn't create anxiety. So the first step might be... Craig, um, you know, going out into a situation, but explaining to people and not, and going out in the situation, explaining beforehand and not being pressured to eat. So you have to do very small. Craig will probably have to write a list of what he could do, but that is why normally you'd go to a clinical psychologist. I do the research, but I don't necessarily do the therapy side.
1: Okay, so. fine. Thanks. Uh, we're going to hear from our top cop in a moment because there's a number of points coming up. And uh, I thank you all for the interest that you're showing in the programme. And, you know, This programme goes out again on the website anyway, so if if you've missed it or somebody that you know has got a problem of this nature or or, or would like to get it solved, then, you know, address the the, the fact that they can get it on the website and they can hear it again, or if you want to hear any part of it, please do that. And we're getting a a lot of people telling us that they're listening to the programme and finding it very interesting because it's a programme which points to problems, which points to problems that concern you. More after the break. You listen to 103 points to you we've got a couple of travelers with us who go all over the world and that sort of thing or one who's who's good lady speaks about five different languages doesn't she peter jones she
3: speaks three yes yeah, she speaks italian spanish and english yes
1: right uh, What does she talk to you in uh
3: it's it's very localized and a lot of it is very pointed let me tell you all
1: right me <laughs> yeah uh sir you go you, you go abroad uh, uh, i was listening to that lovely point that Dr uh, Dr Frankie Meriters from uh, the University of Derby made before about you know speed of eating ve- what what food should go first importance of vegetables etc and and you mentioned briefly the continent i've always been told that on, on the continent we we for instance we eat to live to, to survive, don't we? That's right. It's, it's a process. We have to eat to survive. They live to eat. They, they, they stretch their meals. Sometimes their meals last two, three hours, etc. But let's hear Peter on that one, because you, you go abroad quite a lot.
3: Yes, and I have to say that the food is very good, and they bring it to you in different courses. So you get the vegetables as one course, and then you will get the meat totally on its own as another course. Uh, and, and it's proper food as well. Although they've got supermarkets over there, i found that the Italian tend to go to the, the covered markets and actually buy fresh stuff. You've got l- local farmers, small, small holders who come in and bring all the food in. So it, it's absolutely fresh. And even the bread, the bread's baked every day and you're buying it fresh. So there's no additives, there's no preservatives in this sort of stuff. It's basic food and it's got to be good for you.
1: I find this intriguing because we've got a cross here between food and, and picky eaters, and silly boy, you should be able to eat that, and all that sort of thing. And then the other side of it, uh, what what sort of Craig outlined before and, and encapsulated it beautifully the psychological problem that can cause people to have it? I mean, in the research you've done, did you find that French children or, or whatever, th- they grow up with less of a problem?
4: Well, we've looked, so that wasn't our research, but we've looked. But certainly when you look at picky, fussy eating, there, there appears to be that children, like you say, who grow up outside of the UK in certain cultures, so it's not just the UK, it depends on the culture, but certainly where they take their time and they, they uh, live to eat rather than eat to live, you tend to find the practices are very different different but what we also know is actually picky fussy eating is quite common it is quite a common, just normal developmental stage. So we know, uh, I think I forgot the exact statistics, but I think it's about one in four children sometime between the age of two, uh, five and six, se- between about two, five, six and seven will picky fuss And for myself, I have one child that isn't a picky fuss eater um, and one who is a picky fuss eater. So it's quite interesting. But we think, you know, most children, especially if you manage that behaviour in a way that, is uh, calm it will hopefully just they will grow out of it as soon as they're able to think about things rather than rely on what the the food feels like um, and what it looks like as soon as they start you know when they're in uh, primary school you can see your child starting to think a little bit more for themselves as soon as they get to those ages most of the time it uh, basically it disappears, um, and what we would suggest is actually it's how you're handling it between when the children are younger that you could be you've got to be slightly careful because, for example, like Craig said, I know he was older, but if you're suddenly sat there and your child isn't wanting to eat something and you're forcing your child to eat and they're you know very upset, then actually you can potentially be causing them to be distressed and then they will associate that food with distress. Um, and We know. Another thing is that for most small children, sometimes it can take over 20 times before they will accept the introduction of a new food. Again, because they don't have the same processes that we as adults have, so they can't think, oh, yes, I must eat my greens because they're very good for me. All they do is see the food, then feel it's a new texture, and maybe actually it's got a slight bitter taste or something, so they can't use the same strategies we as adults use.
1: Is it possible that children could become... Picky on things like uh, carry out foods, like drive in places, like these restaurants. that, 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 that they, I'm talking now about restaurants aiming at families and that sort of thing. Can they come picky there? And I, I noticed mine on occasions get into a situation where the they only fight is, is what they have off a menu, which is probably not that, that healthy at times.
4: Well, I know. And I think the thing is, those foods obviously sometimes are made to be quite palatable. So you have fries, you have, uh, you know, burger baps there they're made in such a way that sometimes they're carbohydrate heavy um, and they are designed to appeal for children. But I would have to say my picky one um, he will have a burger, but he'll always pull the gherkins out. Whereas my non-picky one won't. But he'll actually go in and <laughs> examine it.
2: Kids seem to be gravitated to the sorts of foods you really shouldn't be eating, certainly on a regular basis. So that's the bit that I find interesting. That yes, you have picky children for whatever reason, but they're not picky. When we talk about some of the big—I can't mention the names or a kid, but I'm not going to do. But you know the sort of thing I'm talking about. They're all over the world. Uh, kids from all over the world as well, because I remarked on it. It's happening in China. It's and what is it about that food that they enjoy so much?
4: I suppose one of the things is we know that we are designed we can't help we can't go against our designs which is basically we are designed to like food that is high-calorific and often high-fat because in times of famine I mean, you needed to build up um Fat reserves. The problem is, we're not in a time of famine, and we have food abundances. So food's are everywhere, but we can't get over the fact that when we see a chocolate cake, we're like, mm, "That'd be really nice." Or when we see this fast food, that's very nice. Um, it's just the way, in effect, we're designed. We are designed to to take in energy and store energy. For the most of us, obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but we that's the way we're designed. So when you advertise and you target these, you know, things like fizzy drinks and fast foods at children. Um, they when they eat it, you do get the reward. I mean, how many times do you um, eat maybe a chocolate cake, etc., and, and you think, oh, that was absolutely disgusting? You tend not to. You're designed to enjoy eating these sorts of foods. So if, if we're pushing them towards children and they're seeing all the advertising and they're quick and convenient and often, actually, it's quite cheap as well. That's another thing. You can go and feed a family of four for under £15 at a fast food joint. You can't necessarily do that. Um, at a restaurant so it is quite hard in these times of convenience and so they get fed um, and they like the food it is quite hard then to pull back from it and not do that with our children when you know if you do that you know they will eat and you won't have the anxiety of them maybe kicking kicking up a fuss
3: and it's good marketing isn't it yes right.
4: exactly and you know you get things like the free toys yes quite
1: who are the most picky in, in the children in in your research or other people's research the richer or the poorer families
4: Um, It's it's an interesting question. I wouldn't say they've actually shown even rural children who have who you know grow up in farm areas, even they can be quite picky with new uh, vegetables. I suppose one of the things is who gets introduced to more vegetables and foods, and that's one of the things that we know can decrease um, picky, fussy eating, which is introducing a wider variety of foods. But often, if that can cost more money, then you might find that. um, that individuals just by the very nature of what they can afford can't potentially put a whole range of foods on their children's plates such as things like, I'm just thinking, mango, papaya. They're all quite strange fruits but because they're all imported they're more expensive than your apple or your orange.
1: There's a medical side to this as well isn't it because when somebody goes to the doctors with a gastronomic situations, mm. the doctor can sometimes say well, stay off this or, or, or mm. have more of that etc. I mean did you look into that at all?
4: No but I certainly know that <laughs> there's a case for some individuals arguing that you know picky fussy eating can't do any harm but actually if a child has a severely restricted diet so they are only eating a few items then it can affect growth and it can affect their development so in those sorts of cases they should go and consult medical advice if they are noticing that child is extremely
1: let me come back to Craig Priest again if I may Craig, can I ask you a fairly direct question? Why not? During the time that you've had the problem, have you ever, ever sought medical assistance or has a doctor ever said, unrelated to this, uh, maybe you should eat more or you should eat more of this or that and it could be causing a condition that you might have had?
0: Yeah, when I was 15 I was sort of very slimmer than what I am now which I know is completely unimaginable. Yeah, there's but more meat on a chip. Exactly. Um, so I did sort of go and see a doctor and sort of he said you j- literally just on the line of what's acceptable for a person of your age but you do need to start sort of eating more food is there a reason why you, you wouldn't do it but obviously at the time the reason why I wouldn't do it is not something that I wanted to be open about so I just sort of clammed up and didn't say anything and since then I've just sort of left it and tried to keep an eye on, on what I'm doing regularly weigh myself and, tr- and try to eat more foods which can put meat on but it just it, it just Doesn't happen sometimes. Do you eat without enjoying eating? Sometimes I do, yeah. I mean, especially if it's a restaurant type situation where I've gone out and, for example, my ex girlfriend's mum was really good in sort of understanding my problem and she actually introduced me to quite a lot of new foods, which is why I put a little bit of weight on. But even then, I know we'd be going to a restaurant where for example, if I would order steak, I would order it completely plain with just chips and I would feel awkward in, in doing that. So there are some times where I'd be sat in that situation and seeing people having a laugh and just thinking, I'm the only one that's being fussy. Or am I spoiling it for somebody else? Am I spoiling this person's birthday or this person's wedding uh, celebrations?
1: Is is he... Uh, uh, as a, as if you were looking at an extent of how, how, how picky, and he's admitted to being mm. very picky... Uh, less picky like you mentioned you're one of your own your own mm. your own children uh, somebody listening out there should they be worried if their child is picky and at what level should they get really worried
4: i suppose they if if they i mean it's, it's quite tricky now because obviously when children are very small they they have all these growth charts and things but i suppose if they thought their child's weight or height or even their development was being affected um say their child you tend to know if your child you know is is always the smallest in the class then that's then they probably are always the smallest in the class but if your child goes from being one of the bigger children and becomes quite skinny um, and doesn't seem to be growing then you should consult an expert and one of the things I noticed about Craig is obviously for him it's still quite difficult because when he goes out it's still not a pleasant experience it's still very very and so until he can quell the anxiety you know and and actually start and enjoying the food which I know would be a huge milestone but it would be something that you'd want then obviously until you start having food with good memories it would um, be quite difficult but as you said with children um, when they're very small they go and get growth checks and weight checks so they'll have nurses but when they go to school age um, you probably need to keep an eye on them and just you know as a parent you you should get a feel for whether my son's picky fussy eating but I know that you know he's not he's a little bit of a he can be problematic when we go to people's houses and we have to deal with him and and we have ways of dealing with him when he f- refuses to eat um, good ways but we know that actually he's he's where he should be in terms of height and weight you know he's still in the right age clothes etc yeah and that's what they do don't
2: they? certainly as babies they still do the weight check which is important because a child has to have the best start I also think now if, you, if Craig had gone to a GP now with that issue, hopefully the GP would have been a bit more interested, uh, they would have got referral. There is a major advancement in, in mental well-being so well. and it's clearly a mental issue and it's a simple issue that could have been resolved, uh, but it's like everything else. The resources aren't there, but at least <laughs> they're recognising now that not only is it about food, it's about a lot of behavioural issues and it's, it's simple to, to sort out, but it needs a different kind of clinician.
3: It's sometimes difficult. My wife has a problem that she can't uh, have anything that's got soya in. And a lot of uh, food is is done with uh, ingredients that, that, have, that have got soya in, but they don't even tell you they've got soya in. A lot of sauces and things have got soya in. And it gives her um, migraines. So when she goes out, she's, she's very picky about what she can eat. Alright, she's a vegetarian anyway but she's also picky about the sauces and things because she will have to ask whether there's any soya in in the sauces and uh, you know she finds that a little bit awkward as well sometimes because if you know sometimes uh, the waiters don't know and even the chef's not even sure because they've bought the stuff in so it makes it very awkward at times
1: so where's this going that's the that's the thing Where, you know, you've got the research yeah and i'm sure you've, you've obviously done it with very great detail but where's it going and how's it going to help? Don't answer now. You will in a moment because we want to know and a lot of people out there want to know exactly how is it going to help and how's it going to help them. We're listening to 103.2 Points to You and we're talking about the subject of picky eating and if you haven't heard this program so far, you when it goes on the website, you really do want to hear it again because there's... Uh, some very very interesting points being being raised here in, in the studio Dr Frankie Maratos from the University of Derby she's in, involved in the area of psychology she's very much involved in the world of research and she's linking picky eating yeah the problem I don't want that mum oh. <laughs> why isn't your dad eating that or whatever she's linking that to psychology and we've already heard in this programme of how some of the things that might affect you out there certainly affected one person that, that we have in in, in the studio tonight. Now, going back to to Dr. Frankie, where is it going? What what would you, if you could pick a result that you wanted from all this, not this program, but you wanted from the work you've done. What would you hope it would be?
4: Well we'd hope to learn more about why children um, are picky fussy eaters because if we know more about it and if we know it's similar to anxiety disorders which we think it might be then obviously you can uh, basically provide people with, with ways and advice on how to, to treat it because we know for example anxiety disorders are very very treatable uh, if we know what's causing them so if we set, if we can find out that actually the, there is a role for fear of food uh, and there is a role for example actually in small children about what the food looks like not just what it feels like in its mouth then we can do really simple things to help worried parents um, basically A uh, reduce their anxiety about it because it can be a normal phase it is just a normal phase in a lot of children but b also provide them tips on how to deal with the picky fussy eating in children can
1: a child or an adult from that matter later on because a child is father of the man but i mean can can a situation in that happen where you you're you're nervous you're 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 frightened of, of something and therefore it may if you eat it it makes you feel ill is that possible?
4: Um yeah, we know sack yes. So so you can have those effects. So so certainly if a uh Child or a parent is, has had a bad experience with food, it can psychologically, just like if you imagine things or you smell certain things, they can make people have. Um, I forgot what the reflex Psycho- is called
1: psychoanalysis or something like that. Well,
4: no, where you're you about to vomit. So I forgot that the reflux, reflux. yeah, yeah, yeah reflux. not reflux, but anyway, you know, there's a thing where acid,
1: the acid comes into you,
4: yeah, and so we know, and also, um where you feel as if you're going to start to vomit so we do know that actually people can have bad experiences with food uh, some people also have mouths which are more sensitive so that uh, that basically the, ref- uh, the, the muscle which would allow you to expel something from your mouth can be in different places so it can make people more likely to uh, go into um, the, the movement where you would vomit I forgot what it's called, it's going to drive me mad.
3: Yeah, I was reading a bit the other day about the First World War, uh, and uh, it was about uh, one of the soldiers who had been shot and collapsed and actually g- fell into a dead body. And when he sort of came round, he'd got all the, all the bits in his mouth, and... He had uh, real major psychological problems because yeah. every time he ate something, it could actually feel Taste that he that. was eating this human. So it's uh,
4: a disgust. So, so we know uh, our disgust mechanism to get something noxious or something poisonous out. You do have that vomiting reflux. So if therefore you sometimes think something is extremely disgusting, then we know, like imagery is very, very powerful. So we know imagination is powerful. We won't go into why, but I can imagine people know when they go to bed and they think about things. <laughs> So, if you have a very powerful disgust memory, it could cause—that's it—the gag reflex. I've remembered it. So, <laughs> well the gag done. reflex. <laughs> so, when you feel like you're going to vomit and you start to gag, which is what you're, you're the soldier.
1: Yeah, yeah, I read somewhere that. It's, 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 excellent point the soldiers that have been out in the desert or whatever and forced to survive survival situations Mm. uh, and eat, eat animals they would not normally eat lizards bits of snake or anything like that can afterwards have really traumatic effects on them even though they ate that for survival
4: Yeah, I mean, that's true. We know, so when people are in survival situations, you do what you can to survive, but then to think that you'd be perfectly fine after is not the case, because that's why a lot of individuals end up with post-traumatic stress disorders. But you do what you can do to survive at the moment, and then when you are in a situation where you're out of danger that's when those what you've done to survival can come back for you Uh, and you know especially if individuals start thinking about it you have lots of uh, thoughts caught up in it so you know the idea that you're eating things that were disgusting maybe you were making moral choices so you're eating a you know say you ate a dog but in our society it's not acceptable to eat dogs so individuals end up with uh, with with these and it you can come off from bad situations and end up with disorders
1: now you've talked of dietitians and people like clinical dietitians these are problems that psychiatrists will sometimes deal with surely
4: yes psychiatrists and psychologists obviously um you do it, eating is a specialized area so individuals who work in eating clinics do have a considerable amount of training to deal with individuals because as we discussed um picky fussy eating is one thing but in on occasion we are seeing you know more individuals with different types of eating disorders and obviously they can be life-threatening things like anorexia or bulimia so you, Clinicians are extreme psychiatrists and clinical psychologists extremely well trained to deal with individuals who... Present with these disorders, and
1: you're continuing on with this research because you mentioned before that uh, one of the people doing a, a, a doctorate, a PhD, that's really mm-hmm. extensive extra extra study right on top of the yeah. ordinary degrees and the masters and everything mm-hmm. else, going into into schools and things like yeah.
4: that. Yeah. So, what, so I have a, one student, Jane, who's working in this area, and she, as I said, one of the first things she's looked at is uh, differences between uh, parents and children. So we know sometimes that parents may think their children are fussy and children may not, and vice versa. So so interestingly, even expectations between what a parent and a child thinks can be uh, an area of ex- exploration because then that sets about how the parent treats the child. If you think your child is a fussy eater, you might be more aware of them eating, whereas if you think your child doesn't have an issue, you're very different. So she's been looking at that uh, and she's uh, she's been looking... We have what's called eye trackers, so they track eye movement. She's been looking at what children look like and we can clearly see that some of her first results show even five and six-year-olds look at food very differently than children who are 10 or 11 so we know a lot of it can be to do with development and she'll be going into schools uh, in the next year or so actually looking specifically not just at all children but looking at children who do show more picky fussy eating compared to those who don't and again looking at uh, parent views and also looking at if they look differently at foods
2: fascinating but obviously you've done some work have you got a website that our listeners could refer to in case because Uh, you can't take it all in can they so that's
4: fine so what i've done is i've recently set up a facebook page so it's free and it's called uh top tips not tantrums and what i post is not just myself but we have experts posting each week and i've actually put a link to the blog with some of the the tips but it's it's yeah it's just on facebook and i think it's with my name so it's francis maratos and it's or frankie maratos and it's top tips not tantrums
2: excellent
1: are you a picky eater?
4: Um, I think it's an interesting thing isn't it they do say as you get older your tastes change so I used to not like dark chocolate I used to not like olives but as I've got older I have a preference for more bitter foods I wouldn't say I'm picky but I can't bananas I struggle with Um, just bananas but I could eat a banana in a different form in a milkshake and I think to me that's something as we said there's visual elements but there's also uh, the, the, the way it feels in your mouth and I think with me I have a texture issues with the it's a bit slimy you <laughs> know personally
1: yeah, you've been but listening. bananas
4: are very good for you bananas are a good source of energy yeah I
1: know that I've you a lot of tennis players do it once I watched uh, Pete Sampras once at Wimbledon he had a banana in between the in, in the sets and he looked at the banana and he looked at, it at one end and then he looks at the other end because he couldn't make his mind up which way to peel it and which, which end to peel it from. But he solved the problem by holding it at both ends and cracking it in the middle. I'll never forget that as long as I live And the commentator at the time there said that said there's a highly intelligent tennis player. <laughs> We've had an entirely intelligent lady on the programme tonight, Dr. Frankie uh, Maratos of... Uh, Derby University uh, and we've been talking about picky eating and the psychology of it all thank you very much for coming into our okay. studio thanks to Peter Jones thanks to Sydney Pepper and a very special thanks in this programme for uh, Craig Priest who uh, has helped point us all in, in a direction where not just food I like this I don't like that I'm picky but other things in your life can affect the way you think the way you eat and the way you live remember it's repeated on the website From me, Tony Delahunty,
2: have a great night. Bye-bye.